How does gender show up at work? If there is anybody who's an expert in this, it is Aruna Rao, the co-founder of Gender at Work, the sought-after consulting, training, and thought leadership agency. Aruna also has deep knowledge of feminist leadership, the topic of my current episodes in this podcast. Aruna, along with others, developed some of the key concepts in feminist leadership as a model, including how politics and power play out in organizations through their so-called deep structures. Aruna and I explore this and more in this episode. Come along for the ride. Hello, and welcome to NGO Soul and Strategy, the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye. My name is Tosca Bruno van Vijwijken, and I'm the founder and principal consultant at Five Oaks Consulting. I have over three decades of experience helping leaders in civil society manage change, investing cutting edge leadership development, lead organizational culture change, and strengthen effectiveness. I'm also a thought leader on these issues, including as co-author of the book, Between Power and Irrelevance, The Future of Transnational NGOs, which is read by civil society leaders across the globe. If you are such a leader and want to look change right in the eye, this podcast is for you. Hello, everybody. Today, I have another episode for you in my series on feminist leadership. And uh, today, we're going to interview Aruna Rao, who is the co-founder, former ED, and former board chair, but still also board member at Gender at Work. And I'll I'll talk uh, in a moment a little bit more about it. Aruna, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. I look forward to this conversation. Um, for my audience, so um, I'm going to quickly uh, summarize the, a very rough definition of feminist leadership. There's a lot more than we could say about that. If you want to dive deeper into some definitional issues, then please listen to an earlier episode with Abby Maxman at Oxfam America. Um, so feminist leadership typically is seen to fall within the realm of models of transformational leadership, which is really a school of leadership thinking, where in a nutshell, the ability of leaders to, um, to motivate employees to uh, find intrinsic meaning in their work and to go beyond what the, what the job uh, typically would require of them, an ability to generate that willingness, that energy is, is, um, is, is typical for um, various forms of transformational leadership. When it comes to feminist leadership, obviously, externally, we're talking about uh, organizations and leaders who want to create a gender-just world. In this series, however, I am primarily focusing on how feminist leadership shows up internally inside organizations through things like... Uh, uh, a pushback on more charismatic or hero-based and, and individualistic leadership, um, a focus, a greater focus on a developmental style of leadership that is about growing people, that emphasizes shared leadership, distributed leadership, um, 
And um, where the personal obviously is the political, as we know famously from feminism, and where there's a focus on self-care and staff care. Um, and we're looking at feminist leadership because a number of international NGOs and other organizations in this international social sector, some um, bilateral organizations or multilaterals as well, are increasingly taking up feminist leadership, at least aspirationally. And so I thought, let's, let's have a couple of conversations about this. So now a little bit about Aruna. So Aruna is, as I said, the, the co-founder, former ED, former board chair, and still a board member of Gender at Work, which is a, a longstanding uh, organization that, does, that offers both thought leadership and applied research, but also consulting, training, and, uh, and reflection opportunities around gender at work, as it says, gender in organization. Aruna is also the co-host of a podcast that I highly recommend, Gender at Work, and we'll make sure to put a link in the show notes. She's the former uh, board member of ActionAid International. She um, Back in the past, she was a leader in gender work at BRAC. She has a PhD in um, educational administration and organizational behavior from Colombia, which is uh, so impressive. And I love the work that Aruna has contributed to, together with David Keller and uh, Srilata Badliwala, on deep structures in organizations. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means. And, uh, and what that has to do with feminist leadership. And funnily enough, Aruna and I met each other more than 20 years ago or so through your partner, who used to be my colleague at the World Bank, which is just such a small world. So Aruna, let's dive in. So for you, by way of background, tell me a little bit more about your overall body of work and how feminist leadership came to be a part of that. Yeah, thank you so much, Tosca. I'm uh, really happy to be having this conversation with you. Um, I think back in the late 90s, um, I had a wonderful opportunity to work with BRAC in Bangladesh. As you know, it is uh, the largest NGO in the world um, and, were, and clearly situated in a country where they are very strong social norms around, um, you know, how men should behave, how women should behave, who has access to what kinds of resources. And so here was an organization which allowed us to come in and help them think about uh, change in their culture around gender equality. So mm. that meant um, really working with a very large group of staff on uh, the issues of organizational culture intersecting with individual attitudes and behaviors, um, and then throw in the middle, you know, uh, gender equality, and, and what does that mean in that context? So it, we looked very closely um, collectively. Uh, BRAC staff were involved in a very large process of gender action learning. So they were looking at really what, how do gender power dynamics play out in organizational settings? Mm. Um, and then how can we go about changing them? You know, what small changes can we make at our level and what are the larger systemic changes that are needed to be made at higher levels of decision-making in the organization? So um, that was an incredible um, 
opportunity uh, that mm. I then worked with David Kelleher uh, and Ricky Stewart um, to try to connect up with others who are working on similar issues, but in very different contexts. So um, people who worked on with, with the CGIAR system, you know, the agricultural research institutions, mm-hmm. people who worked in, um, in private sector, really trying to look at, and we were influenced by, you know, the work of Peter Senge um, on looking at, you know, um, cultural change, organizational change, and we tried to share what we um, were doing in these different contexts. So that led to the development of the first book that we published, Gender at Work, Organizational Change for Equality in 1999. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we, we tried, David and I particularly, as well as many others who were interested in this field, uh, came together to try to find a way of um, doing more consistent work on mm. uh, this area of gender and institutional change. And that led to the, the birth of Gender at Work, the, this international feminist network, um, you know, that exists now. Um, and, it, and, and in the early days, I remember um, one of our founding board members, Joanna Kerr, who's now... Um, yeah. It's very well known in the in the international NGO world. You know, she said, um, "Okay, Aruna, you you have focused on the most difficult thing to change uh, in organizations. You know, power dynamics that um, people at the top don't really want you to change. Mm-hmm. Working across sectors um, and working internationally. So, you know, great. Good luck." This is going to be a really tough, tough sell. Um, And I remember Kumi Naidu, also a a board member, a founding board member, saying, what are you really talking about? You know, what is this that you're trying to change? And and it was difficult to to really articulate and put into words these these dynamics which are not obvious in organizations. Yeah. They're under the surface. Everybody knows they exist. And um, and everybody feels them, you know, uh, who gets access to what kinds of resources and what kinds of decisions, um, who gets access to what information, how do priorities get set within an organization, what are the allies that you work with, you know, inside and outside the organization, mm. um, what are the, uh, you know, the, the uh, What's the nature of that culture? Which um, does it allow for power sharing? Does it not? You know, all of these things which everybody understands is the way an organization works, but um, is not necessarily visible. So, so we then spent the next um, oh about 16, 17 years. We co-founded Gender at Work in in two thousand and three. And worked with uh, over by now, actually, it's over 150 kinds of organizations um, with whatever the entry point is. You know, it could be, well, come and work on women's leadership or it could be come and help us with a policy, a gender policy Mm. or um, come and help us with this training program. But whatever the opening was, what we tried to do was to say, what's underneath that? Let's try to peel back that onion and see where the blockages are and what the facilitating factors are. David and I um, developed, based actually on the integral framework, David and I developed the gender at work framework. 
um, which now is widely used um, and is a way that helps you think about the deep structure of organizations and the ways in which individual um, you know, consciousness as well as access to resources and the more formal side of, of organizations interact with uh, or are blocked by mm. these deeper structures and organizations. So our next book that we published was in 2016, which tried to bring together um, some of the insights that we had learned over all of these years and, you know, working for over 10 years with trade unions in South Africa, working with government programs in India, with multilateral organizations, the United Nations, with big NGOs, with foundations like the Gates Foundation, and try to really think about what is, can we, what can we say more mm. about the deep structures? Um, and what are the pathways that have we've actually worked with, with organizations to try to chip away at that? Mm, wow. And we're going to link to that 2016 book in uh, in the show notes. And, and I uh, want to uh, assure you, Aruna, it's in my uh, it's in my Kindle uh, oh, as, as we speak. So I hope I, you enjoy it. I, I can't wait to to read it. Um, so that sets this, the, the context. And so turning to feminist leadership more broadly, and, and we'll return to what you uh, term as the um, um, the deep structures, because I think for some of our audiences that we need to unpack a little bit more still what that means and why it matters. Um, but tell us a little bit how, what does feminist leadership mean to you? How does it show up? How do I see it in practice when I enter an organization? Well, um, how do you see leadership in practice when you enter an organization? You know, uh, feminist leadership is, is grounded in feminism. Um, and that's really important because feminism um, is uh, a political vision. Mm -hmm. So it's a political vision in terms of um, trying to, you know, change the structural impediments to equality that are very deep seated. And those are, and, and the thing about feminism is that it is focused on gender, but not only on gender. So it is mm. also intersectional. So it's not only looking at gender biases. It's also looking at biases of um, race and class and ethnicity and religion and other kinds of fault lines that intersect with, um, with gender issues and that um, set in motion dynamics of hierarchy and set in motion dynamics of discrimination and mm -hmm. um and raise some and you know subordinate others and so processes that are about transforming uh gender power structures that are discriminatory and practices that are discriminatory of all kinds you know whether they're informal or they're formal um in the service of advancing social justice and gender equality, you know, is the way I think of that's feminist leadership to me. Mm. And it's, it's not just in organizations, it's also um, in ourselves. You know, it's fem feminist leadership has a self-reflective piece to it. So it's not only about changing you out there that needs to be changed, mm -hmm. but it's also about how are all of those biases 
and attitudes and deep-seated norms, how do they live in me? Mm. And so what do I need to change inside of me mm. in order to be able to, you know, be a different person Interesting. Uh, in how I relate to you and how I relate to organizations? Interesting. And it's That's... also about um, movements. And Srilatha's work has done, you know, it's really extended the feminist leadership work to um, movements, social movements, social justice movements. Um, and so, uh, you know, when we, you know, look now, I mean, he, this, we're in a perfect storm, right? We are facing multiple crises. Um, it's not just the COVID crisis. We've seen just in the United States, we've seen, you know, incredible upheaval yeah. um, with the whole, you know, the anti, with the, with the race riots and rioting and, you know, police violence, Black Lives Matter. We've seen huge levels of structural inequality. Um, and, you know, we're heading towards climate extinction, essentially, right? Um, and that context, the context is very important because that then shapes our visions. What is it we do with this context? How do we, where do we want to be? How yeah. do we want to get there? I mean, that's part of what an organizational DNA is, right? So if they're shaped, organizations are shaped by these contexts. and. One of the issues that has emerged more and more now um, is that we as a society have devalued um, each other and we've devalued um, our own thriving, you know, and our own care. What do you mean by that? You know, um, I, I think that, that what we see over and over and over again are organizations that are broken and they're broken because the people in those organizations are broken that hierarchies and um and and uh ways in which traditional organizations you know work they're really 19th century constructs you know that are ill-equipped to service our 21st century visions mm. You know, the organizations we live in, um, and, you know, I can say this having seen my colleagues and myself having worked for so many years in trying to shift these organizations, you know, you make a little progress, but the default always goes back to, to hierarchy um, and not only to hierarchy, but to, you know, very patriarchal forms of um, organizing and and um, manipulation. And so you've seen, again, you know, we've seen recently huge rebellion against that. The Me Too movement has just blown up around the world because sexual harassment, abuse, and violence has been, become so normalized, mm -hmm. you know, that it, and it's been under the surface for so many years, and then it just exploded. You know, so, so when you, you think about that and you ask the question, what does care mean in relation to, to that issue? Care means ensuring that there are safe environments and within which people can work. And that means bodily safety. Mm -hmm. It means mental health. It means um, 
you know, creating the kind of environment where uh, we can engage not only at the level of mind, but also at the level of, of heart and body so that mm-hmm. we're connecting to each other mm-hmm. you know, in ways that, that enable us really to thrive. So I'm going to ask you one kind of a little bit more provocative question, and then I want to move, dive into those deep structures a bit more for the rest of the interview. Are there any organizational contexts or any types of organizations where feminist leadership is not very helpful or shows real clear limitations because what is needed uh, uh, for those organizations at that point in time is, is a very different style of leadership. You know, I think it goes back to um, my definition of feminist leadership. Feminist leadership is not one thing mm-hmm. and leadership is never one thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a misconception that, you know, feminist leadership is all about, you know, people, sitting around a table endlessly discussing things and, you know, <laughs> and sitting around a kitchen table and just kind of never coming to a decision, you know, that really is a misnomer. And I think it's a, you know, it is just, that's not what feminist leadership is about. Um, I think that, that the, the vision, as I mentioned earlier, is really important. Um, I think that one in, in different situations, one needs to use different kinds of processes to move forward. But the question is really, you know, what does moving forward mean? What mm-hmm. does efficacy mean? What does effectiveness mean? And mm-hmm. to whom? Who defines it? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so if uh, effectiveness is, um, you know, ExxonMobil's notion of, um, you know, providing um, better dividends to shareholders by, you um, drilling more in the Arctic, you know, now that Trump has allowed more drilling in the Arctic, uh, is that effective? Um, To me, that's not part of the vision and the world I want to live in. A very narrow definition for sure of effectiveness, you're saying. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, when in, in, um, in all kinds of uh, work on organizations and thinking about leadership in organizations, and, you know, you can go to work on um, integral theory to spiral dynamics. Um, You know, there's just a whole body of work out there um, that tells you that there's always a balance that's required among the different kinds of needs people have. Right. Um, And, and, you know, taking care of those needs, making sure that environment is possible to do that, making decisions, um, helping people get the resources they need uh, in order to be feel safe and productive and mm-hmm. valued in an environment, and also kind of pulling their weight to a shared goal. So you know, I, I remember um, thinking, uh, learning about Tostan, which is an organization in Senegal, works primarily in health, community health. You know, and one of their um, their the, the new new uh, innovations they put into place was um, something very simple, but it was about creating a safe environment. Mm-hmm. And that was by um, making information about salaries, about resources that people get, have access to, 
um, shared information throughout the organization mm-hmm. uh, so that, you know, you're not constantly trying to um, guess or you're not constantly um, suspicious about Wondering. what's happening here. Do I not have the full picture? You know, um, those kinds of things are can erode um, mental health, can erode people's trust in an organization. Um, and, you know, if you think about the work of people like Margaret Wheatley, um, Leadership and the New Science, for example, you know, which is now 25 years old, um, learning, from, uh, learning from nature, um, principles of organizations, you know, are all about um, self-accountability. They're about creating a vision collectively and, and then creating that environment so that people can move towards that vision. Um, it's not about, con- you know, control and, um, you know, it's not about um, power over. Mm. So, so you know, when I think about feminist leadership, you know, I think that it, it draws on a huge um, wealth of experience and thinking about what is good leadership, you know. Mm. Very and, interesting. And, and really what how, you know, how can we bring those elements together in to, to kind of move towards uh, a vision that doesn't instrumentalize people? Yeah, that's what I hear you say very clearly. Um, so now I'd like to zero in with you um, on one particular contribution uh, within your overall thought leadership on feminist leadership. And, and again, this is on these facets of deep structure in organizations. And you have developed this work together with David Kelleher and together with Sulata Batliwala um, and uh, Joanne Sandler and Lisa Veneklaas, et cetera, who I'm also interviewing for this series. So let me just, for the sake of our um, audiences just walk you through some examples and I'm just using a slide here that um, comes from this work is so when we think about deep structures in organizations to be very concrete for instance um, I'm citing here from your collective work we're talking for instance about unstated personal biases that override the official organizational norms right? Personal biases by certain powerful people, whether they in formal power or informal power, doesn't really matter. Or what are the kinds of behaviors that are actually valued or rewarded in practice in an organization rather than what we say we are all about, right? Who are the informal groups or cliques of people who wield indirect power and influence? This is another example of a deep structure, right? Or how we go about spreading rumors in order to... Uh, Uh, put somebody who we want to put down into a corner, if you will. So it's the kind of informal, covert decision-making, or as you said to me in our discussion before we started the recording, how uh, resources are really allocated, who really has access to the leader, rather than what the formal process will say. So these are some of the practical examples of deep structures in organizations that have to do, of course, with politics and power. So my question to you then is, Aruna, is if we think that these deep structures of power and and politics are probably some of the hardest aspects of an organizational culture to change, right? Uh, Hardest for a leader to aspire to change. 
how um what are the political or otherwise strategic tactics that a feminist leader can use to not only analyze these deep structures, but actually to change them. Can you give us some really concrete levers for, for change of these deep structures? I want to say, Tosca, just before I begin, that um, mm -hmm. this work uh, around deep structures has mm. much um, deeper roots than what you've cited. Okay. So, for example, Joan Acker wrote about uh, she did, a, you know, did organizational critiques of organizational or gender critiques of organizational theory. Um, Naila Kabir has written extensively on this. Um, uh, Raven Connell has written about uh, gender power uh, regimes. Uh, the whole um, Finn network, which is the feminist institutionalist international network, um, among whom is Fiona Mackay, who's a colleague and friend have written about um, how power works in institutions. So, you know, there's a long history. A long history, uh, it sounds as like. As well as Anne-Marie Goetz, who's written, wrote about this, you know, um, some years ago. Uh, there's a long history of theory around, feminist theory, um, critiquing organizations and organizational good, good theory and organizational change. And we draw on that. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to say that. Uh, and, and, and I think... Um, again, in terms of, you know, so how do you begin to change it? Mm. Um, one of the really interesting ways of trying to shift these um, deep structures is, and here I'm going back to Eric um, Olin Wright, who is a well-known um, American sociologist, who a Marxist sociologist who talked about um, getting to real utopias. And his thesis was, you know, there are kind of three kinds of strategies for, um, for uh, making transformation or making change happen. He was talking in terms of class, you know, change in class structures, but it works well when you think about it in terms of uh, gender power structures mm -hmm. as well. The first one was symbiotic, you know, you, you partner with a, um, say, for example, you partner with a state. Mm -hmm. um, which is providing, for example, Gender Work worked with the, the largest uh, rural employment program in the world in India, Manrega. So we worked in a few areas in Uttar Pradesh. So we partnered with a government program. Nothing that we did, uh, working with a whole group of uh, local NGOs, challenged the power of the state. Um, so it wasn't about you know, upturning those power relations, but it was about... Um, making, getting those resources that were meant for certain populations and in particular for Dalit women that we were working with, um, available and accessible by those women. Mm -hmm. What was a deep structure within that organization? A deep structure was the assumption that, and this was nowhere written, that poor Dalit women, um, illiterate or semi-literate Dalit women were only able to do the lowest of the lowest menial tasks mm -hmm. in this program, which was hauling mud, hauling earth. They were not able to do any technical work. Was that written in any project document? No. Mm -hmm. Was that in the policy guidelines of Manrega? No. But that was the way the program operated. So mm -hmm. what we, in, you know, in collaboration with working with a whole bunch of organizations, that built the consciousness and um, 
understanding of the rights, you know, these women understanding their own rights, they then formed a union, um, was to, in fact, show the system, the program in Uttar Pradesh, that these women were able to do all of these things. Mm. So there were a series of innovations. Um, and one of them was training semi-literate women to do those technical tasks. And that training manual then got adopted by the entire program and was used nationally in the program. Mm. So, you know, so that's a symbiotic strategy. An interstitial strategy is one where, you know, essentially you're working in the cracks. You know, no organization, no organization is monolithic. There are always cracks. They are allies. They are spaces. They are mm. resources. You know, not you know in the formal public um, eye, but just just you know beyond that, where you can experiment with ideas, you can um, build capacities to do something else. You can try experimenting with a new way of working, and if that works, that can get adopted by the larger organization. So, for example. In, um, in one of uh, the largest trade unions uh, that we worked with in South Africa called Sakawu, which is uh, for commercial um, workers uh, in the retail and um, in the uh, restaurant industries, um, they had everything in place. They had a gender coordinator, they had a gender policy, but um, the leadership was, you know, not only primarily was, was pretty much completely men, male. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and there was very little opportunity for women to get into that leadership um, arena because the meetings were held at night. Women were not, you know, it was not very safe to travel to these meetings. Women had, um, you know, this double burden of mm. reproductive care as, and, and they were working full-time in the organization. Um, and, there was also, there were threats of violence and sexual harassment to keep women out of these spaces. Mm -hmm. So what this organization actually did over a course of a number of years working with um, gender at work in South Africa was to build a kind of a satellite uh, place where women could uh, test their leadership, could try out, you know, new ways of leading. And then because that was working so well and the union was facing um you know low uh, sort of high attrition rates and needed to hold on to members mm. you know that model became integrated into the union's model of leadership mm. so it was you know that's an interstitial safe space where they could try things out and change things um and that has worked in many cases i mean if I you see. look at you know, the, the um, gay rights movement in the United States. I mean, that's been, you know, really the story of that. Um, the third strategy of the, you know, that Eric Olin Wright talks about is um, smash. Sometimes, you know, when you cannot change it, when it's time for organizations to die, it's time for organizations to die. Mm. Um, reframing is a strategy that's used a lot by feminists. 
Um, and I'm sure you can think of a number of, of examples, you know. Um, yeah. So these are the kinds of strategies that feminists uh, use to try to chip away at these deep structures. Interesting. I'm going to ask you to please send me the, the links to a couple of these core authors, and uh, particularly if they have shorter, more practitioner-oriented writings that we could share in the podcast, that would be very valuable. Fascinating. Well, Aruna, we have to bring this um, interview to a close. Um, where, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Well, um, the best place to go is uh, genderatwork.org. Um, and uh, so there'll be information about um, myself and my uh, writings. And a number of the writings are available, freely downloadable. Um, and um, and I would encourage people to listen in to the Gender at Work podcast. Yes. It's really about rethinking feminist transformational strategies. Um, and the third uh, place I would suggest people go to is um, the Medium blog, which uh, I wrote together with um, a number of my colleagues, uh, Joanne Sandler, David Kelleher, Lisa Veneklausen, and Srilatha Bhatliwala. And it's um, called Centering Care and Connectivity in Organizations. Um, and it's about really a new vision of how do we balance human thriving with, um, with planetary thriving? How do we build uh, care and connectivity and feminist values into the kinds of organizational formations we need to pursue the kinds of feminist visions that are emerging um, from, you know, economists like Kate Rayworth uh, and the donut model of economy mm. um, and some of the most progressive thinking about uh, climate justice and social justice. Oh, so it's marrying those two. Okay, we are definitely going to link to both, as I said, your 2016 book, your podcast, Gender at Work, and the, the blog post that you just talked about so that uh, our, our listeners can, can, um, can learn more deeply about your extensive body of work. Thank you so much, Aruna, for all your insights. Um, I, I really admire the depth of, uh, of thinking that you provide as you were also citing all these resources. And thank you very much, listeners. If you found this podcast episode stimulating, then please help other social uh, sector leaders find my podcast by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. Um, and if you're interested in the topic that we discussed today and in this series, namely feminist leadership, um, we have one chapter in our book with uh, George Mitchell and Hans-Peter Schmitz, Between Power and Irrelevance, the Future of Transnational NGOs, where we talk about leadership and leadership models and some blind spots that we see uh, in the INGO sector in particular and um, the, the place of feminist leadership and post-heroic forms of leadership in that. Um, this is Tosca. I look forward to spending time with you on NGO Soul and Strategy next time. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you valued the content, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, so that other leaders of social change organizations can find it too. 
And if you want to learn more, have a look at my website, fiveoaksconsulting.org, where you will find blog posts, recordings of interviews with me, as well as information about my co-authored book, Between Power and Irrelevance, The Future of Transnational NGOs. If you sign up for my email list, you will receive a free sneak peek at the book. Or feel free to email me at tosca at fiveoaksconsulting.org or contact me through my website. And follow me on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Till we talk again at NGO Soul and Strategy, the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye.